Hey, y'all, coming up part two here on the Thursday, July 27, 2023 edition here on the Chase Thomas Podcast. Van Graff's John Taylor. All things Major League Baseball, take graphs. It's a Thursday, so you know on this very feed, Major League Baseball talk as the main show here on the Chase Thomas Podcast. We talk about uh, the Dodgers being back here. Um, big trade that actually took place in the middle of this pod. Um, so we talk about their uh, resurgence back atop the NL, how they match up with the Braves. Um we talk about Ahmed Rosario going there. We talk about the Padres, what they should ultimately do um, here with uh, the deadline fastly approaching with Juan Soto and company. Talk about uh, the Reds and why they would actually make the most sense for an Otani trade, but that's probably not going to happen. Uh, why they, for whatever reason, seem to want to trade Jonathan India really bad. Uh, Masataka being awesome for the Red Sox. And then a deep dive into the AAL contender uh toronto blue jays so all that and more coming up next part two chase Thomas podcast on a on a thursday uncle darren let's go hey y'all thanks for checking out the chase Thomas podcast if you are not already a subscriber and this is your first time listening welcome to the show appreciate you guys checking out uh what we've got cooking here on the program um if you enjoy what you hear today please make sure you hit that subscribe button on your preferred podcast player new episode new content every single day tennessee vols atlanta sports guys sports reporters assemble nfl nba college football all that and more right here on this feed each and every day your favorite writers analysts personalities in the space on this very feed every day so if you like that you like the best national sports talk with a local flavor outside of here in knoxville tennessee then this is the show for you so make sure you're locked in on your preferred podcast player and if you're already a subscriber, you know what I'm about to say. But if you could, please leave a, this show a five-star rating and write a review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify or however you're listening. I promise you it helps this show continue to grow, helps other people find the show, and all that good stuff. So if you could take a second today and you're already a fan, you love the show, tell a friend, family member, coworker, whoever about the Chase Homes Podcast as we get bigger and bigger each and every day here in Tennessee. I would greatly appreciate it. Five-star review or five-star rating. Write a review. I promise it helps in a major way. Takes a second. Hit that pause button. Take care of it today. And uh, yeah, we greatly appreciate it. Hey, one final thing before we jump into today's episode. Uh, Sports Renaissance Man. That's me. SportsRenaissanceMan.substack.com. It is a daily newsletter um, where I cover all kinds of uh, great sports content, personal essays, uh, links to full episodes of this very show, um, Tennessee Vols, Atlanta sports, NFL, NBA, college football. I write about it all. Boy Meets World. Yeah, you can find all of it on the Sports Renaissance Man newsletter by just going over to sportsrenaissanceman.substack.com dot com type in your email today become a subscriber if you like listening to this show i think you might like reading my work as well combination writing podcasting two of my favorite things and you can find it over at sports renaissance man dot dot com check it out today also check out chase podcast.com new website looks great all kinds of great links check them both out bookmark them sports renaissance man dot dot com Type in email. That easy. That simple. Do it today. And then chasethomaspodcast.com as well for all the links, full episode notes um, about the show, how we got started, who I am, if you're not familiar with the Chase Thomas Podcast, and just me, Chase Thomas, 
um, outside of here in Knoxville, Tennessee, local Atlantan, um, and all that good stuff. All the information you need, chasethomaspodcast.com. Then email me, chasethomaspodcast at gmail.com for any questions, mailbag stuff, anything for me or my hosts each and every week, co-hosts each and every week, chasethomaspodcast at gmail.com. Thanks, guys. Chase Thomas podcast. The Chase Thomas podcast. Um, my nephew needs me to record. See, I hate. I already hate it. I hate it. All right, hello, and welcome back to another episode of the Chase Thomas podcast, where I'm still the aforementioned Chase Thomas coming to you live from Knoxville, Tennessee. Everything School HQ. Also here, up there in New York City. Fangraph zone, John Taylor. My dad loves this. I I, uh, I rewatched that clip the other day, and I I always forget how musical it is. Like you just hear Matt Berry, like just kind of singing it in part. And mm-hmm. I, I one I don't understand how anyone during the filming that scene didn't just crack up immediately on that line. Right. But uh, I want I want to try to find some of the little trill in there. The New Yorks. It, it's it's tough though. He's he's just such a very powerful voice. It's very hard to to imitate. He is, but he is quite good, John. Um, many would say quite good at uh, what he does. Mo- many, many people are saying this. Many people are saying it. How are you, sir? I am doing pretty well. A lot of afternoon baseball today is the nice thing about a Wednesday. Uh, mm-hmm. It's just I have a, a monitor here that I've just, you know, throw MLB TV on, have the, the little four game set up. So I'm just, you know, cycling through all the afternoon games. Right now mm-hmm. I've got uh, Phillies, Orioles on on the screen watching Kyle mm-hmm. Bradish do his thing. Yeah. So uh yeah, can't can't complain, honestly. There you go. Well, uh are you a multi game at a time person or do you watch one at a time? I I games? like I like multi game if only because that way if one game goes into commercial, if the main game I'm watching goes into commercial, I can usually uh flip over to a game that's currently in progress. It's also just nice yeah. to be able to see what's going on like you know, for most of the late afternoon, I had Dodgers Blue Jays on with Pirates Padres often one of the little boxes to the side. But once the Padres mm. started putting together a little rally, I managed to flip that one over for a little bit to watch the end of that game. So it's it's nice just having that ability just to kind of do your own personal red zone. There you go. Yeah. Why is there not a baseball red zone? I think it would just be too, you know, MLB Network kind of sort of does that during mm. their MLB Tonight broadcast where they... They do the live look-ins and they they show you, you know, things are happening. But I think a lot of the problem is, you know, in, in the NFL, and granted, you know, red zone has that meaning for them where it's like, okay, if a team's inside the 20-yard line, we're going to put them on because it's a scoring opportunity. Whereas in baseball, you never really know when the scoring opportunity is going to be. I mean, you can, you know, certainly you can be like, okay, we'll flip over to this game because there are multiple, there are two runners on and it's teams down by whatever. But I think it's just kind of hard to predict when that's going to happen in baseball. Whereas mm. with football there, I think there's a much easier path of like, okay, this team's getting closer. Or if it all happens really quickly, we can just go back and show you the play, which mm. I mean, MLB tonight does that too with home runs and stuff. But I mean, personally, I wish they would just show more, just, just show an, uh, just show us a half inning. You know, I don't, I don't mm. even really care, especially given that, you know, the average half inning at this point takes, what, five, six minutes, maybe maybe yeah. 10 at the, at the most if it's, you know, the or because they say average. But um, yeah, I, I would I would like more of that and less of the in-studio yakking and debate, because I, I personally find that stuff to be the most uninteresting and boring stuff that the MLB folks do is have those endless like, 
what should such and such team do in this trade scenario when it's like clearly no one there really knows anything so mm-hmm. uh speaking of which i think it's time for us to start yakking about trade scenarios in which we know absolutely nothing I mean, is this what is this where you're gonna go for your take graphs take of the week, John? No, my my take of the week was gonna be a pretty uh, a pretty pretty uh what's the word I want to use here? Mild, lukewarm, uh, whatever the least hot level of hot chicken is, which I think is probably still hot. I guess <laughs> I have um, no idea. Yeah, it's it's just that the the Braves are back, folks. Oh, they're they're, they're back. The the Neano West is Did over. They the leave? Braves are back again. Uh, well, I don't know if they left so much as I think. Going into the season, we all thought to ourselves, okay, this Braves team might actually, or Braves team, sorry, this Dodgers team might actually be in trouble. Mm. Uh, did I say, wait, so I said the Braves are back or the Dodgers are back? You said the Braves are back. Oh, and that's my bad. I meant to say the Dodgers are back. I was going to say all the, the way Braves never folks. left. The Braves never was... left. The Dodgers did leave for a little bit there, but. They did. They very okay, clearly that makes now more sense, are... John. I was like, what? John was out on the Braves, apparently, for the last couple weeks, quietly, and I didn't know about it. Look, I mean, given the way they've played against the Red Sox, can you really blame me right now? Are you really talking that mess after that triple play last night? Are you uh, like with that with those uniforms, those albatrosses that you're out here trotting out? Like that's <laughs> what we're I'm, doing. All I'm saying is scoreboard, and I think that's what really matters here. Wow, wow! I can't even retire. I'm I can't just, retort I'm because pretend you... I'm pointing to a scoreboard. It's somewhere behind me. Goodness gracious! Hope it goes different tonight. Look, it, it's going to go different tonight because Spencer Strider is pitching, so I'm not even going to pretend yeah. otherwise. But I have to get. I, that's why I got to get the shots in now. You know, I got to. Mm. I, I, I gotta do it, but no, that's my like one of those games too. They see the the triple play and uh, someone at work, and I was like, "Yeah, do you know how that game ended? Like the Braves got shelled." And they were like, "Oh, the way you see it, and it's like, oh, what an awesome moment! What a night for the Braves!" And it's like, actually, that was not how. That was the one. Lo- that was that was it. That, that, that was, was it. That was as close as things really got. <laughs> um, yeah. but yeah, I, I I think the Dodgers are back, and mm. you know, I, I, again, I'm not going out on a limb. Similar, I think, to when I said that the Braves are the best team in the in the majors, and I think they're going to win the World Series. I think similarly saying the Dodgers are going to win the NL West for the 19th consecutive year, whatever it happens to be at this point, is is not exactly a stretch. But uh, certainly, you know, the way that they've gone about their business in the last uh, couple weeks are now four games up in the NL West on Arizona. They mm. are 12 and 8 in the month of July. They have seemingly figured a lot of things out with regards to uh the way that this team functions now in terms of kind of who's who's playing, who's playing regularly. They've got guys performing. You know, and, and it's not just Freeman and Betts carrying things. It's guys like James Altman producing. It's Max Muncy finding a stride again. It's uh, J.D. Martinez taking a dip in the fountain of youth and looking, at least on the power side, more like his old self. You know, I, I think, you know, there, there obviously are still real issues with this team, primarily the pitching staff. This rotation right now is three rookies, Tony Gonsolin and a really messed up Julio Urias uh, with no real expectation that anyone aside from Clayton Kershaw on that injured list is going to come back and be able to make any real difference. Um, Walker Bueller might be up at some point in September on his Tommy John rehab, but that is you know, obviously TBD. They're down Dustin May for the season. I don't think they're going to get anything really out of Noah Syndergaard going forward. Uh, similarly in the bullpen, they've got pretty much everyone injured right now. So this team hmm. very, very much needs pitching help. On the other hand, though, this is obviously a Dodgers team that's not afraid to do things at the deadline. And I think given the starting pitching available, you know, what we've seen, what there is out there, I don't think that they're, I, I, or better said, I think where the Dodgers are 100% going to make a trade for pitching. I think they are going to bring in whatever pitching they can get their hands on. I wouldn't be surprised if they were into someone like Lucas Giolito to see if they could uh, fix maybe what's going on with him. Uh, maybe looking at 
someone like a Jordan Montgomery, if they simply want someone to just give them some some innings, really, and not really worry so much about what's going to happen in the playoffs. Although I think if you are the Dodgers, that is kind of the one thing you have to think about is what is our postseason rotation going to look like? Is it going to be, assuming he's healthy, Kershaw, then Urias, then question mark? You know, who is that question mark there? Is it Bobby Miller? Is it Gonsolin? Is it some combination of those two guys with the bullpen? Or is it going to be like what we've seen from the Dodgers in postseason past where, you know, they really only go into the playoffs with two starters and just kind of try to figure out the rest? I don't know that that's a situation that's going to work for them this time around. And I should note Mm. that when I say the Dodgers are back, I don't necessarily think they're the favorite for either the World Series or even to get out of the NL at this point. I think that's Mm. still the Braves who still have double the World Series odds that the Dodgers do. But it's worth noting the Dodgers have the second best World Series odds per our site in the entire majors at 13, just mm. over 13 percent. The Tampa, the Rays are right behind them at 11. So, yeah, I feel good in saying I think this Dodgers team is in a pretty steady, hopeful place. And I mm. think that they have the tools to make an upgrade. I think they will be making an upgrade. I also think that part of the problem for the the Giants and Diamondbacks is they're, they have even bigger issues that I think they can really than I think they're capable of solving. The Giants' mm. offense has fallen completely asleep in the month of July. Uh, I don't really know where the solutions for that are going to come from. They did just call it Marco Luciano, who's their top position prospect, uh, try to get some kind of jolt going in the middle infield, but you know certainly I can't imagine one player is going to be enough there. Similarly with Arizona, uh, they have a really bad bullpen and one that is mm. going to take a lot of work to fix. Because again, it's just not it's not just a shaky closer with some good guys behind him. It's no real high leverage options to be found. Scott McGough. Uh, Kevin Ginkle, Andrew Chafin, Miguel Castro. That, that That's not a postseason bullpen by any stretch of the imagination. So I think between that and also Arizona having its own rotation issues beyond uh, Zach Gallen and Merrill Kelly, San Francisco having, uh, like I said, the offense issues, a, a bullpen that's been mostly okay but not great. I think the Dodgers are probably the best suited of those three NL West contenders to come out with the division. And again, the odds, the odds favor them. You know, the Dodgers... We're down to a 37.7% chance of winning the division back on June 19th. As of today, that's all the way up to 80.7%. San Francisco's the next closest at 9%. What's uh, the Padres right now? Padres, and this is just their division odds, are 2.5%. Yeah. Goodness gracious. So, you know, every other NL West team is in single digits or is the Rockies. Um, I think, you know, four games is not huge by any stretch of the imagination. One hot week from either the Giants or the Diamondbacks. One bad week from the from the... And the Dodgers, and we're pretty much all back to zero. But it's also worth noting, too, that when you look at uh, the rest of the schedule for the Dodgers, they've got, uh, they don't really have that many games left against their NL West competition, aside from San Diego. They still got seven games with San Diego to go. Uh, okay, seven games against San Diego, seven games against San Francisco, and I uh, believe six games against, sorry, five games against Arizona. So there's mm. also not a lot of room, particularly for the Diamondbacks to to gain ground. The Giants are going to have the best chance of it, uh, which is going to be fun too, because of those seven games, all, all seven of those games are coming from September 21 onward. Seven of the Dodgers' final 11 games are against the Giants. That will probably decide the division right there if it's still that close, but you know, otherwise, I think it feels pretty safe to say that the Dodgers are back. They are your NL West favorite again. They are almost certainly going to win that division. But I think the real question is, what are they going to do after that? And it does make me wonder, again, while thinking what that playoff rotation is going to look like, that I do think they are going to go and try to get that middle rotation starter, a guy like a Giolito, perhaps, 
or a Jordan Montgomery who they feel comfortable giving five innings in a postseason game as opposed mm-hmm. to trying to luck their way through with some combination of uh, Gonsolin, Miller, Emmett Sheehan, Michael Grove, you know, some other prospect options perhaps. Um, but we, we'll see. But I just, I feel like, you know, the, the Dodgers always do something at the deadline, and I feel like this year is going to be no different for them. Yeah, I, the Giants, by the way, would you guess the Giants have the lowest, or, or I guess the opposite of that, the highest ground ball rate of any starting pitching staff in baseball? shocker right there considering logan mm-hmm. webb's ground ball rate is like 65 percent or something that's keeping him in a lot miami's uh it turns out folks if you have a really high ground ball rate it's pretty good in today's sport to uh <clears throat> to emphasize that with the uh, launch angles and everything else but giants one marlins two rays three um but when you look at the different stuff like the dodgers are just like there's two elite teams in the nl and it's the dodgers and the braves like i would be pretty surprised if either of these teams are not um in the NLCS uh, when it's all said and done here. And I think, I think it's just a coin flip because like they're a top 10 offense. Braves are top 10 offense. The staff, will, they're right around top 10 and a lot of the big pitching metrics that the Dodgers are trying to be in and they can do stuff. They obviously develop well. They have a good pipeline. And you, like you said, Friedman's going to do something and the offense doesn't really need a lot of tinkering, which is no. Good. And that's, so you, which is yeah. the other benefit I think for the Dodgers is they can focus primarily on pitching yeah. at the deadline. I think there are other places, you know, maybe you could consider, uh, you know, who's the best arm for there. them. Who, think, who would I, you target if you're free or like how, if you were Andrew Friedman, who would you target? And then also based on their track record, who do you think feels like a Dodgers target for them? Most um, realistic. I think they're going to go after, I, I really like Giolito on that team because I think mm. the Dodgers are exactly the kind of, of team that can get the most out of a guy like him, uh, given his, uh, given the results he's gotten. I think Lance Lynn would make a lot of sense for them. One of the Rays, though, it looks like. Uh, perhaps, although I'll believe it when I see it with the Rays, as always. Uh, I think uh, Giolito, like I already said, Giolito, I think Jordan Montgomery, again, someone I already mentioned, is a good option. Well, what's a- the package for Giolito uh, to LA? What would they have to give up? I think given that he is a free agent at the end of the season, I don't, that's the other thing. I don't think it's going to cost all that much. And the other good Mm. thing, if you're the Dodgers is you have a pretty, you always have a perpetually deep farm system. I mean, you look Mm. at our, uh, if you look, and this was just updated today for us, our farm system rankings, we have the Dodgers at seventh in the majors in terms of uh, overall value. And in terms of, or in terms of overall value, they have 55, they have a 55 player prospect list that we put together. Hmm. You know, it, it's not going it, it, to, and the nice thing is a guy like Giolito is not going to cost the Dodgers anything from their top five prospects. You know, if you look at uh, within that system right now as to maybe who would make sense, you know, if they were to target moving someone, I think maybe it, maybe it can be one of those arms a la Ryan Pepio, a la Emmett Sheehan, a la Landon Knack, perhaps one of those kind of hard throwing arms they seem to just generate just purely out of thin air Mm. excuse me uh there's another one uh you know maybe maybe it's more a guy like a a rain don con or a uh which is a a fantastic name by the way Mm -hmm. or jorbit vivas joandri vargas you know some of those guys who are a little further away down in the system who i think might be interesting to the to the white Sox potentially especially as position player bats I think if it's Chicago, it's probably going to be the cost of at least one pitcher and one uh, prospect bat. Because the other thing is, I don't really see who on the current Dodgers makes sense, or on the current Dodgers roster, rather, makes sense in terms of a guy that they could flip who the White Sox would have any real interest in, I think. You know, unless unless for some reason they're particularly high on the idea of Yanni Hernandez, 
I think it's going to be more like a Michael Grove or a Landon Knack, like I said, and maybe one of those kind of further away from the majors bats. But that, that's the other thing. This is not going to be the kind of package that they had to pay for Max Scherzer, for example. You know, it's yeah. not going to be two of their top 10 guys like it was then. I think it's also it's, you're dealing with uh, Rick Hahn here. Yeah, and that's the other thing. Like, you want to target a team that just doesn't really know what it's doing, and I think Chicago is very high on that list. So it would make a lot of sense for me, to me, that the White Sox would go after, or that the Dodgers would target the White Sox, rather. Mm. Um, And I think otherwise, you're probably looking at the Cardinals. I don't really know who else out there has the pitching that might interest L.A., I don't think Marcus Stroman is a guy they're all that into, Mm -hmm. um, especially because I don't find that infield defense to be particularly great. Verlander? Well, actually, and well, here's a fun one. Just came across the Twitter transom or X Uh -uh. or whatever we're calling it now. Be respectful, it's X. From uh, Jeff Passan, which, by the way, uh, all good hopes to Jeff. Shout out to Jeff, Jeff, by the way. That story is bonkers. Uh, To him and his now recovering broken back. Uh, the Los Angeles Dodgers are working toward a trade in which they would acquire shortstop, um, shortstop, sorry, Ahmed Rosario from oh. the Cleveland Guardians. So already, so there you go. Already, the Dodgers are working. That's a on, very on, Dodgers move. It is. Although the the interesting thing if I, I find about a guy like Rosario is he's not a particularly good defensive shortstop. He's which, just huge. Yes, he's very big and very lanky and just mm-hmm. has a lot of like strength. But you know, in terms of. You look at him on on us on baseball savant per outs above average. He ranks in the first percentile in outs above average as a shortstop, minus hmm. fifteen in run value. Huh? For whatever reason, a lot of that and it's all broken down. A lot of that is going toward first base. So to his, you know, a lot of it is Rosario just really struggles on balls to his left. Mm-hmm. Then again, it's the Dodgers. Who knows if they'll actually use Rosario at shortstop? I'm curious to see how that would arrange itself. If that, in fact, is a deal that's going to come together. Uh, mm-hmm. Coming from Passon, there's no reason to believe it's not. But again, you know, I, I think it also, you know, stands to the point of the Dodgers. Again, the Dodgers don't really need to do anything big on offense. It's going to be, I think, more guys like Rosario. I think they, they're saving the big bullets uh, for pitching, so to speak. Mm-hmm. I think either uh, starting pitching or relief help or probably both in some capacity. That's interesting. Um, the Dodgers are going to be active, and they're right there. And the Dodgers are going to do smart stuff, and we're all going to be mad because the Dodgers got better at the deadline and didn't really cost them that much. And they just fleece a couple teams. Like, why are, hang up when the Dodgers call, folks? They're one of those teams. Just hang up. Just, just hang up. Just don't, don't, it. don't take the call. No, like you're probably going to lose the trade. Um, speaking of losing trades, the Juan Soto trade, John Taylor. Yes. Um, I love AJ Preller. I love what San Diego's done. Blake Snell, shout out to him. Great run for him right now. You Darvish. We we love the pods on this podcast. We love that kind of team building strategy. They develop I, I, well. I'm just well. That's the thing. I'm just here for chaos, and yes. the the Padres are chaos incarnate. I have no idea what the Padres should do. Juan Soto, like I don't know what you do if you're Juan Soto. I don't know if you're in those meetings right now with AJ Preller and ownership about what they should do with Juan Soto, what they should do with Blake Snell, what they should do with Manny Machado, what they should do with Fernando Tatis. They are in such a precarious situation that I just I just feel bad. Like, I just am sad about the San Diego Padres and the year that they have had. Are, are you on the same wavelength? And have you even, like, they're not really talked about. Like, I'm not reading a lot of, here's what AJ Preller is looking, and here's where the Padres might go. Here's what Soto's future looks like. I feel like everything is way too quiet based on the season from hell that they're having to this point. Yeah, I, look, I mean, I, I've thought about it too, and it's like, I I don't really, like I like you, I don't really know what you do with the Padres because, I mean, there, there are two ways you can look at it. The first thing is, um, 
if you're going to buy, which I think you can make a justification for, at least in the sense that this team is probably somewhat better than its record shows, at least based on the run differential, you know, the there are options out there. But the problem is you look at what, you know, if, look at it this way. If you, if you look at what it is that the Padres need in order to be a better team, right now, realistically, they need some relief help and they need some offensive help, primarily at first base DH and ideally to get a big left-handed bat. Problem there is there aren't really much, there's not really much in the way of big left-handed bats available on the market. You know, if you look at the guys on teams that uh, are likely to be sellers uh, at the deadline, you know, you're, you're looking at maybe Dan Vogelbach, maybe, you know, Heimer Candelario flipping him over to first base, maybe mm. going to the Pirates and seeing what it would take to get Carlos Santana and G-Man Choi. And to, to be fair, I don't think any of those guys would cost all that much, which is probably a good thing for the Padres, given the state of their farm system. But on the other hand, I also don't really see those guys making the impact necessary to move things in any real direction. Um, the other side of it is, like I just said, the Padres farm system doesn't have a whole lot to offer right now. It is very thinned out. It's got a great top four uh, in Jackson Merrill, Ethan Salas, and two other names I'm forgetting right now, unfortunately. But beyond that, it is a lot of dudes mm. who are minimum like three or four years away from the majors. There is not really much in the way of close to the majors help, which I think obviously will impact who they're able to go after. Um, at the same time, it also means like, you know, you, you cannot keep trading away that much minor league depth and, and thinking it's just going to work out eventually, especially if it's going to be for someone along the lines of a rental. Mm-hmm. I think the most interesting like option to me, if I were the Padres, would be to see what do the Cubs want for Cody Bellinger? Mm-hmm. What would a deal like that look like? Maybe broaden it out and see if a Marcus Stroman is part of it too, but I don't think the Padres probably have the pieces to get that done. On the other hand, if you are a seller and you do decide to sell, you do have th- the best non-Otani piece available at the deadline in Soto if that's the way you want to go. Mm-hmm. So I think when you look at it that way, the question of whether or not you want to keep Soto around long term. The good news for the Padres is Soto still has another full year of team control left because he's a Super 2 player. So next year will be his fourth year of arbitration eligibility before he finally hits free agency. So any team acquiring him will have to give up a decent amount in in exchange you're not you know he's not a rental you're going to get a decent uh package of prospects back they're not going to get back what they gave up to Washington to get Soto in the first place but no. that that I think is kind of a, a understood and implicit the issue with Soto going forward is this I think with the Padres and it's the money they mm. already have 171 million dollars committed in salary in 2024 Soto makes 23 million dollars a year he is we're sure going to get a raise in arbitration again next year. We're probably talking a $30 million uh, arbitration contract for that final year of his, of his services, mm. which theoretically at least takes you up to around the $200 million platform. And that's losing Blake Snell and losing Josh Hader and having to do whatever else you need to do around the edges to make this team better, which mm. part of that is they need an impact left-handed bat of some kind. Yeah. Which to my, to my, to my thinking is, well, that impact left-handed bat, is Juan Soto. Yeah. Which I think is the other part of this. I don't really think that there's any way for the 2023 or 2024 Padres to get better by training Juan Soto. I don't really see how the Padres are better off without him than they are with whatever package they get in return for him, unless they can convince one of those mid-tier contenders that really needs a boost to give up what it would take for him. And I think, too, the other thing hurting them is that Otani is theoretically available, so any Soto trade would be contingent on the Angels saying, essentially, nope, we're not going to trade Otani, and I don't think they're going to make that decision until pretty much the deadline itself. 
I think yeah. if you're the Angels, like I, I know I said last week, I don't see that trade happening. A savvy GM probably just does this, right? A savvy GM is only calling the Padres right now. I would like, imagine that, yeah, if you're a GM who's interested in Otani, you're also probably calling the Padres and saying, hey, listen, just out of curiosity, if you were to move Juan Soto. But no, to your point, I, I also don't really know what the Padres do here, because on the one hand, again, I don't see how trading Soto makes this team better, even if he would be the best non-Otani player available at the deadline. On the other hand, this team desperately needs some kind of infusion of of youth, particularly uh, cheap, affordable youth, given all the big contracts they have signed, uh, especially if they want to be able to keep building a team that isn't going to cost them all that much money, which we know at some point has to become an issue for the Padres, particularly when you consider luxury tax issues. You know, the other part of it, too, is if you give Soto away, there is not really an outfielder in that system ready to come up and make an impact right now. The highest ranked outfielder we have uh, in their farm system is their most recent first round pick, Dylan Head, who is number five in our rankings. After mm. that, you have to go all the way down to number nine to Samuel Zavala, who is an A ball hitter with an ETA of 2026. 20, you know, I don't really see how you're going to do better than, especially considering, too, that when the offseason comes around, there are not going to be better bat options than, than Juan Soto out there unless the Padres somehow convince Otani to come there. And even mm. then, he's only going to be a DH, he's not going to be playing the field. Yeah. So I don't know. I, I don't, and I especially don't think there's any point in trying to make a prediction with San Diego because AJ Preller mm. is just going to AJ Preller. I wouldn't be surprised if they tried to go into the deadline with a little bit of both. I also wouldn't be surprised if maybe this is the second straight deadline where Josh Hader gets moved. If they kind of look around and say to themselves, you know what? We're not, we're not going to get back in this race. We might, but we don't want to give up on Soto because there's no chance that, you know, we're going to get, we're going to recoup either the value we gave up in trading for him or that we're going to get enough value for the 2024 Padres and beyond to make it worth losing him. But a guy like Josh Hader, who is a free agent at the end of the season, who almost certainly is not going to sign any kind of long-term deal in San Diego, I don't think, given their current contracts, I think it might make a lot of sense for them to look at moving him. Blake Snell, also potentially an option, but we'll see. I, 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 I'm with you. I don't know what the Padres are going to do. None of us know what the Padres are going to do. But well, that makes it fun. They're a sneaky chaos team here at the yeah. deadline because they could go all in more like they could just buy, be buyers like, hey, you don't think we'll do it? Just try. Just put back A.J. Preller in a corner here at the trademark. Yeah, nobody, nobody, what... nobody backs A.J. Preller into a corner. No, like he's he's the one who knocks. I've always said he was the, the Walter White of Major League Baseball general managers in that um, he is a reckless narcissist who is can is just driven to destroy everything he's built because he can't get enough is that not what was in his bio is that not it probably should website.com it probably should be yeah no who's the most ruthless like who do you think is the most ruthless gm in baseball right now i think it's probably if it's not preller i think it might be someone like a friedman or i I don't Mm. know what his official title in in la is but he's running the show so let's just call him that okay um john taylor do you know this guy is just going to be and this is like a kind of a two-parter here with the reds the 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 reds who lost to the brewers today and are now they lost the series i think the brewers 10 out of 13 uh this year so if there is a tie at the end of the season between the brewers and the reds the brewers will win the division um kind of something to keep in your back pocket the brewers for whatever reason own the reds this year but they're done and it's but they're done late july and uh, they're they will not play each other again this year um i gotta say i kind of hate that i do too 
Like, why I, I don't done? think you should be done with a divisional opponent. Even, okay, even if divisions don't matter anymore, which they just clearly do not, given that you know that the schedule has been realigned, it still means something in terms of the competition, like mm-hmm. for the number one spot in that division. Uh, JT Realmuto just hit a two-run double and did some version of the Sam Cassell big ball celebration at second base. So I would just like to make sure everyone knows that. That's uh, a JT Realmuto thing right there. Back to the topic at hand, though. What was it? I've, I've, my brain has been so completely melted by watching JT Romuto do that. I completely forgot what I was talking about. Uh, the, the Brewers and the Reds. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. There, there shouldn't be a scenario where you're done with a divisional opponent before August. That that's just silly. No. You know, to say nothing of if you're if you're the Reds. Granted, you blew your opportunity in the first place to deal with the Brewers because, again, like you said, the Brewers have just massacred them all season. Yeah. But now you don't even get the chance to try to make that ground up over the last two full months of the season, which I think is just that I just don't like that competitively speaking. But regardless, that's fair. That being said, I feel like Jonathan India, I'm going to just it's going to be Groundhog Day for whatever reason. The Reds do not want to keep him in their core. Like for whatever reason, Jonathan India is just going to keep popping up of like he's available, but not really available. He might get moved. He might not like. Jonathan India, if I see, I swear I've seen it for the last three and a half years that Jonathan India might not be a part of the Cincinnati long-term plans here. And I don't know what the logic is, John, if you had to get in the front office for Cincinnati, why do you, is it just the young talent pipeline, the guys that could be behind him? Like what, what would go into moving Jonathan India? And why do you think the Reds uh, brass might be not completely sold that he's uh, a good long-term investment is some is there some dance v swanson energy here a little bit so i think it's a few things one is that india's track record when it comes to health is not great he has not mm. really been able to stay on the field fully. i think this is the first season where he's really been uh durable enough to play at least close to a full season uh but obviously you know well he did play 150 games in 2021 but only 103 games last year. He's on pace, I think, to get close to a full season this year, so maybe that's less of a worry now, but I think it has been a worry in the past. There's also the fact that offensively, he really has not produced all that much. Over the last uh, two seasons, he's hitting a collective 250, 332, 394. That's a 726 OPS and a 95 OPS+. plus. That's pretty mediocre production, particularly when you add on the fact that India is not a good defensive second baseman. Uh, minus two and outs above average. He's been in the negative his entire career. Uh, not a guy I think that the Reds maybe feel comfortable in as being kind of the marquee guy at their at the Keystone. On top of that, uh, he's already into he's about to go into the arbitration eligible portion of his career. This is his final year uh, of pre-arb uh, rookie scale contracts. So, you know, we're talking about a guy who for the next three years is going to get progressively more expensive. I would guess his salary next year, if he does stay on the Reds and, and you know, does go through arbitration, is probably going to be somewhere in the range of $4 million or so. That's certainly not an overpay by any by any extent for Jonathan India. I mean, if you go by our uh, player valuations on the good old site Fangraphs, we have him as being worth... Do, 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 do. about just shy of $10 million so far this season. Uh, mm-hmm. Even in his worst season, which was just you know 0.4 wins above replacement, he was still worth about $3 million. He's been worth about 1.2 wins above replacement so far, trending to finish somewhere in the 2 to 2.5 range maybe. The problem is I think that's just not really uh, – that's a fine, okay regular, but I think if you're the Reds, the idea of paying a guy like that increasingly more for what are likely to be – uh, the downside years of his career, because this is the other thing. He'll turn 27 
in the off season. Uh, you know, obviously he's nowhere near the the full decline phase, but this is also not a young guy. You know, this is a guy who gets drafted out of college is already again about to be twenty seven. Not a great defender at second base, not even a good defender at second base, not even an average defender at second base, and a pretty mediocre offensive player. You know, uh, granted, the peripheral stats like his numbers a little more, uh, 340 expected weighted on base average versus a 328 figure, but that's also not much of a difference anyway. You're still getting pretty much league average offense out of him. On the flip side of it, if you're the Reds, there's the matter of India is a very, very popular player in the clubhouse, one of the few guys who has anything approaching veteran status in there. Uh... I think what we and to bring the Josh Hader trade up again, with, at least with the one from Milwaukee, we've seen what it can do to a team when you trade one of your actual productive, useful players at the deadline and don't really get anything in return. And that's not to say I don't think the Reds would get nothing in return if they dealt India, but I also don't think they're going to get what they're looking for, which is supposedly young cost control pitching. You know, I think the the name that has floated up, especially considering that the Reds and White Sox have apparently talked is Dylan Cease. There's no way Jonathan India gets you Dylan Cease. No, there's just no way. There's no way the White Sox do that, even if they are a, per, per, a perpetually unimaginative team. Mm-hmm. And while there is some depth chart stuff there where, you know, they already have uh, Matt McLean up and, of course, Ellie De La Cruz and Spencer Steer. And below in the system, they have Noel V. Marte, uh, Edwin Arroyo, Cam Collier. These are not guys. I don't really see who fills that second base hole for them. McLean and De La Cruz are shortstops. One of those guys yeah. can move over to second base if you want, probably McLean, and you get the defense bump there. But at the same time, that doesn't really feel all that necessary because you can live right now, I think, and going forward with an India at second, McLean at short, De La Cruz at third, and Spencer Steers being kind of a super utility outfield infield guy, as opposed to opening up a hole at second base that. Uh, theoretic. I mean, I guess you could then go if you if you do move India, you go McLean at second, De La Cruz at shortstop, Steer at third base. But the idea too there is that there's not really a long term solution going forward. Nova Marte is probably a third baseman, and he's trending toward being a bad one at that. Edwin mm-hmm. Arroyo is trending toward being on average second baseman, which is basically what the Reds already have in Jonathan India. But he's also not a guy I think you can expect to see anywhere before 2025 or 2026. And Cam Collier, again, guy trending toward third base. And very, very low, or not, sorry, not low, very young, not a guy who's all that close to the majors either. So I don't know. I think if it were to happen for the Reds, I think the primary the primary concern there would be he is about to start getting more expensive, quote unquote, because the Reds don't like spending money. But ultimately, just I, I don't really see him being the path toward the Reds getting what they want. If young cost control pitching is something they're looking for, they have more than enough prospects in their system to try to make that a thing. The other side of it is they could just go buy a starter in free agency, mm. you know, or they could try to target one of those rental arms available at the deadline, a guy like a Giolito or maybe a guy like a Lucas Snell or Lucas Snell, Blake Snell, or a guy like uh, or a guy like Marcus Stroman. I think there are better yeah. options there for the Reds to add that starting pitching that they need instead of trading a, a guy. Shohei Otani that I sent you, like him in a Angels or a Reds uniform, like go full Zach Grinky here. Well, that's the thing. Like, I think we were arguing the other day. It's like, I think if you're, if you're a team like the Reds, a guy like Otani makes the most sense for you. I think those, that's the exact kind of team that should be going all in for a dude like Otani, whatever the cost happens to be, because he makes such a huge difference on both sides of the ball for a team that could really use it. Although I guess you could out just extremely exciting in the playoffs. It would be so much at the top of the Reds. If you had the three division winners being an Otani Reds team with the amount of young talent they have and then the uh, the Dodgers and the Braves like that's that's fun. That's exactly what you want uh, if you're in Major League Baseball. That's that's a bloodbath at the top. Oh, for sure. So 
excuse me. Um, I can I can see the Reds doing it, but I just don't really think it makes the most sense for them. You know, especially considering What's the most fun spot for India if they moved in. Fun? Yeah. Who makes sense? Know. Like they could absorb the risk of like his injury stuff and everything else. Like he makes the most sense locking him in long term. Uh, I don't know if India's a guy you really want to lock in long term. He's kind of got a a diet Ian Kinsler vibe to him that I'm not really mm. sure any team is all that interested in at this point. You know, you, you've got to be either. I always really... loved Ian Kinsler, especially in baseball. And I, like I just, and, I love a power hitting second baseman. Like and I, I should that's say, that's that's no knock on Kinsler, who was a fantastic mm. player for a very long time. But um, I think if you're thinking of like a contending team that could really use the help at second base, uh, Boston would make a ton of sense for Jonathan feels India. Very Bostony. Although I don't know if they have the young cost control pitching that the Reds are interested in unless they want to take a ride on the Tanner Houck Express. Uh, well, I mean, Seattle just ruined Justin Turner's life this week, so it can't get any worse for Boston. Uh, Seattle, I think, would make a lot of sense, although Seattle's not really a contender. Uh, I think the Giants might be a possible option there. The Blue Jays, perhaps. But um, I think if you're if you're looking at teams that could really, really use help in the middle infield, India seems, or sorry, India, the Red Sox seem like the best bet. I just don't know that they really match up with what the Reds would be looking for, which again is that young cost controlled pitching and particularly for Boston, a team that has struggled to develop starting pitching and a team that is struggling at the starting pitching level in the majors right now. I don't really see how that helps them to get a league average bat and a below average glove. Hold on, John. Hold on. Hold your horses. Would you not want to pay a shitload of money to Jonathan India and Trevor Story as your uh, middle infielders for the next five years? Mm. You know, it, it, it's it, of course it would make sense for that because you know we've just gotten Heim Bloom doing something, managing a, something I thought was impossible, which is actually getting anything of value in exchange for Kike Hernandez after the god awful season he has had, uh, which is partially Boston's fault for putting him at shortstop in the first place. But mm. you know, I, that's the kind of player where I don't really see. I think you can make the argument at the very least that again, India's got three more years of team control left. He's not going to be all that expensive throughout them, but at the same time, I feel like. You know, it's going to cost the it would cost the Red Sox the kind of chips that I think they would rather hoard right now. Hmm. So we shall see. But I, I just think on a pure clubhouse level for the Reds, especially given the good vibes of what they've been doing, I don't really think it makes sense to move Indian now. I think he's a guy it makes more sense for them to move in the offseason, particularly once they've had the ability to look at the starting pitching market, see who's interested, see if they try to make it on uh, uh, an overture to, to Otani to see if he did all hmm. be interested in coming to. Uh, the Paris of America that is Cincinnati. You know, I, I think India is a, a, a very strong offseason trade candidate, but I think it would just be too big, too big of a shakeup for that team during the season to make that move. Speaking of your Red Sox, though, John. Yes. Masataka leading the AL in batting Masataka average. Yoshida, a very, very good hitter, as it turns out. What makes him so good? Why, do you, why does he have the best for the folks who are uninitiated and are just seeing that and they're like, wait, who? And also how? How would you explain it best? What makes him so good? So I think the easiest way to explain why Masataki Yoshida is uh, near the top of the league in batting average is this. You look at his at his at his ranks among M among the MLB league leaders in the following stats: contact rate, he is number twenty at eighty four point four percent; swing rate, number seventeen in the league among qualified hitters, forty one point one percent; zone swing rate, this is swings within the strike zone, number mm. forty six at eighty seven point nine percent. He, but, you know, 46 doesn't sound all that great, but that's only two, he's only two percentage points away from being in a tie for 28th in that stat. Yeah. Uh, swinging strike rate, 16th in the majors among qualified hitters. That's just 6.3%. That's some Luis Arias shit right there. Uh, 
expected batting average 27th in the majors a 283 against a, and against a 292 actual batting average so he's not mm. wildly overperforming his expected stats this is the f- most fun one to me strikeout rate fifth in the majors 11.3 percent mm. with the third best isolated power in that top 10 uh the other guys uh, alongside guys like ronald acuna and uh, i've already forgotten the name of the other guy but again a very impressive place to be particularly for the power he has this is the other part of it too. He mashes fastballs. When hmm. you look at uh, when you look at run value against four seamers plus sixteen among qualified hitters, that is fourth in the majors. The sixth best ba- sixth best batting average on four seamers at four oh two. The tenth hmm. lowest whiff rate against four seamers in the major leagues. Huh. Um, this is a guy who just controls the strike zone very well. Does not swing and miss. And when you throw him a fastball, he is all over it. He is geared up for it. Yeah. That holds true if you throw him if you throw him off speed stuff too. He has a 302 batting average against off speed pitches. Breaking pitches have been the thing that's really given him the most trouble so far, but mm-hmm. he can handle hard heat. He can handle it uh, wherever you really put it in the strike zone. I think that's the easiest way to explain why Yoshida has been as successful as he's been. He controls the strike zone and he doesn't get beat by fastballs. If you can do that, you are pretty much locked yourself into being a high batting average guy and he brings above average power to the plate too. So, that's been Arguably one of the best moves Bloom has made is to sign him to a long-term deal. The one real downside with Shida, he's a pretty awful defender in the outfield. He really should be a DH-only bat going forward. Uh, and obviously his age, you know, he's already 29 or 30, I believe. So not a guy you're really counting on uh, where there's still more to come. But if he can hold this kind of floor, uh, he's a valuable offensive player pretty much no matter what. I like it. I like it, John. Um, last thing here before we get out of here tonight, um, team spotlight. I wanted to do one of these this week. Um, the blue Jays. Yes. The team that's kind of forgotten about in the AL East. We talk about the Red Sox. People are kind of pleasantly surprised about where they're at. Yankees obviously could be sellers. We talked about them at nauseum last week. So check that out on this very feed. Um, the folks love the Orioles. Like that's already over a thousand views in uh, a little over a day on YouTube. The Orioles fans are in, uh, they're just, they're so happy that people are covering, uh, the Orioles being good. Hey, we've always checked the tapes. We've always been a pro Orioles content uh, podcast. Many people forget that. Um, and then forget obviously this. the Rays with their their start to the year and where they're at. The team that's forgotten, that's good, not great, are the Toronto Blue Jays, John Taylor. And ahead of the deadline, what fascinates you about the Blue Jays? Where do you think they are? Do you think they're a real contender? What? Uh, where are you at with the Blue Jays? So they're definitely a real contender. By our playoff odds, they're at 68.9% with a 56.8% chance to, to win a wild card spot. Those are the highest wild card odds in the American League right now, mm. just ahead of the Orioles at 52.2. The only difference is the Orioles have a much better chance of winning the division because they are currently leading it, as opposed to the Blue Jays, who are six and a half games out. Nonetheless, mm. uh, what I really like about the Blue Jays is they are just a really well-balanced team. They've got a great lineup, obviously. They're a good defensive club. They've got a great number one starting pitcher in Kevin Gaussman. They have a, a great closer in Jordan Romano. I think if you're Toronto, what you're kind of looking at at the deadline is probably just kind of tweaking around the edges. One, I think, is mm. you probably want to find some level of back of the rotation help uh, to a certain degree because for as good as, as surprisingly good as you say Kikuchi has been, for as helpful, for as surprisingly useful as Jose Barrios has been, uh, you know, you've still got, it's been a pretty up and down season for Chris Bassett. And then beyond that, you know, you're, you're talking about a, you know, and, and then Alec Manoa, you have just no clue what you're going to get going forward this season. I don't think he's a guy that Blue Jays can rely on in any capacity. So maybe that's a team where you're looking for 
Uh, and it doesn't have to be a Giolito type, but maybe it's a guy like a Lance Lynn, mm-hmm. you know, someone who can just give them some innings toward the back and and lessen their reliance on Manoa, lessen their reliance on Kikuchi, uh, give them some help there. Similarly, I think the bullpen would be a good area for them to target. Beyond Jordan Romano and Eric Swanson, they've had some struggles in getting some in getting production out of there. I would love to see them get a better left-hander than Tim Meza. I would love mm. to see them get a better middle relief arm than Yimmy Garcia and Trevor Richards. Uh, they picked up Genesis Cabrera from the Cardinals. I don't think that's a guy who's really going to make much of an impact for them. They also don't really have much in the way of hope coming in terms of guys on the injured list. Adam Simber, Chad Green, both likely, or Chad Green definitely out for the full season. Adam Simber put on the IL on the 18th with a shoulder impingement unlikely to be back this season. They might get something out of Hyunjin Ryo toward the end of the year, but coming back off Tommy John at the age of 36, I can't really see that him being a particular help. Maybe Nate Pearson is a guy who can come up and help them as a reliever, but otherwise it's kind of mediocre group among guys like Zach Pop, Thomas Hatch, Hagen Danner, Bowden Francis. I think if you're Toronto, you're particularly focused on trying to get left-handed and right-handed relief help. Mm. Otherwise, maybe you're looking for uh, some extra thump off the bench, you know, right now that's a pretty thin bench in terms of power with Santiago Espinal, Kavan Biggio, Jordan Luplo, and depending on whoever Danny Jansen or Alejandro Kirk is starting, uh, Brandon Belt has been pretty up and down for them as the semi-regular DH. You know, maybe they're also one of those teams looking for a left-handed bat. Again, I think a guy like a G-Man Choi or a Carlos Santana would be a useful piece for them, particularly Choi, given his ability to play a fantastic defensive first base, lets you spot for Vladimir Guerrero Jr. in the late innings because Vlad has been uh, rather bad defensively this season, and I don't think is a guy you can really expect to be that much better. I think the other potential place they could look for some help is second base. Right now, that's Whit Merrifield, who is very mm. much showing his age. I don't How know. How old is Whit Merrifield now? Uh, 34 and a half. Is he really? Yeah. The, the when thing did he get f- called up? The How thing, old was he? The thing people forget with Merrifield is he was called up pretty late in his career. Um, he made his debut in, well, he was drafted in 2010 uh-huh. at the age of 21, but I don't think he made it up to the Royals until just after their World Series uh, run. So gracious. It, it took him a bit to get up there, and it also took him a bit to get settled this as a full-time turns 35. guy. I mean, just, I would he has never have 35. He'll be, he'll be, or sorry, yeah, he will turn 35 this offseason. So, That's uh, bonkers. I would have said 31, 32. That's insane. That's the thing, right? I just, I had this moment the other day when I learned that I am, oh, who is it I learned that I'm older than? I'm younger than Jay Bruce, which feels good. Yeah. Um, because that, I was not. than John Olerud? No, John Olerud. That, that's just the thing. No, the I'm older you you're get, younger than him. You're young. I'm just giving oh, you. Oh, for sure. I'm younger. younger. Well, yeah, I'm, I'm younger gonna... than a lot of retired dudes, Brett I would hope. Brett okay, Boone. Brett, Brett Boone is like 45. Jack Wilson. Is he not in the majors anymore? No, his, no, his son just got there. drafted. Yeah, and he's gonna get called up quick. Yeah, that's that's. A I'm fun not sure one there's a more about. guaranteed, solid, just 13 year gamble than Jack Wilson's kid from Grand Canyon. Like yeah, that I mean that's gonna. Yeah, that's a guaranteed two and a half wins above replacement a yeah. season. Two of those all coming on defense. I'm sure he is. I have not seen Jack Wilson do a single thing with regards to like playing in any capacity. I yeah. guarantee he's already one of the ten best defensive shortstops in baseball because he's yeah. Jack Wilson's kid. That's just how that works. That dude has been taking fungos <laughs> since like the since he could like stand like eight months old. They just yeah. like they just like planted him in place. And we're like, all right, kid, let's get that. Make sure you get that glove down. So, I would love to be in a front office during the draft for some of this stuff where like they're like, oh, should I go? I'm like, hey, everybody, we've missed three straight first round picks. Like if we take one more high school kid, I'm going to lose my job. Here's what we're <laughs> doing. 
We're taking the only damn sure thing, and I don't care if he's a two and a half wit war player for his whole career. This man will be in the majors before two years into like he is going to be fine. We are done with shortstop for the next decade. Like yeah, I'm, we're done. He's not gonna it's be done. We're done. It's easy. I don't care how crappily he hits. We're done. Yeah, he's there. Like it's done. It's off my plate. I need a win. Like he's just a guaranteed win. Like not a Otani win, but he's just a win. Like there's just no way he's bad. I think that works for me. Yeah, I don't know. We're very pro Jack Wilson too on this very program. Uh, the Wilson yeah. family. We're all about Jack Wilson Jr. Jack Jr. Uh, what is his for? Uh, no, is it Zach? What? No, there's no way you go. Jack be, to Zach. Be, no, it has to be. It, I'd be. I would love it so much if it were Zach Wilson. Uh, or even better, be Mac Wilson. This is gonna drive me nuts. Uh, son, let me see. It is. Nope, that's not it. Uh, oh, Jacob. Jacob. So Jake. Yeah, Jake. Jake Wilson. So Jack Wilson and then his son, Jake Wilson. Oh, yeah. the person I learned I'm older than that just like briefly gave me a migraine was Kyle Gibson. How old's Kyle? Kyle Gibson is, well, he's, un, he's, he's younger than 30. He's 35 years old. Okay. Here's the one that, that feels that right. All, here's the one that completely broke my brain. How old do you think Martin Perez is? I, the fact that you're asking me and that you said it blew your brain is like, I'm just going to be off, John. Yeah. You're just going to need to tell me how old Martin Perez is. 32. I'm say 38. He's 32. Oh, there's no way. Martin I'm Perez has been playing baseball for a decade. Seriously, I thought he got signed in like 2003. I was convinced I also got Martin he got Perez signed was older. 39 years old. He's I thought of those just... guys you can't imagine young. Like when you no, look at the picture I, of Martin he, Perez, he, he has always been. He's always been the Venezuelan Rich Hill in my head. Yes. Which I guess which would make him uh, Ricardo Monte. <laughs> there you go. Which which actually Monte is mountain, but I think it can also be hill. So either way, Ricardo hmm. Hill. There Rich you go. Hill should consider a rebrand to Ricardo. I think that would probably extend his career another five years. But I think if he does that, he has to say it in that accent. He does. He has to say it like can he's he Ricardo Monte. Can we ask Rich Hill, who's also got to be what, 44? Oh, Rich Hill's like 41 years old. That one I feel confident about. I know Rich Hill's a thousand years old. Like yeah. he looks... He looks like every dad you've ever seen. No, do you know who the most dad-looking baseball player of all time is? And it'll never be topped. I saw him pop up in an advertisement uh, the other day for some kind of collection car, uh, baseball card collection. Show, Perfect. Trade okay. show. Who would you guess looks like a dad and was at, it was advertising for a local MLB baseball card show? Mm, that has real Pete Rose vibes to it. No, this is actually a good one. No, oh, so okay. someone you want at your baseball card. Expert. I was going to say Pete Rose looks like the dad at the Little League who has already been verbally warned several times yes. about harassing the umpires. Yes. Uh, all right. Who is it? Jamie Moyer. Yeah. I mean, Jamie. Yeah. Jamie Moyer, like Rich Hill, was someone who came into the league at 38 years old yeah. and just never budged from that point in time. But no, like Rich he Hill came is... in with khakis. I think he was born with khakis like Jamie. <laughs> Rich... Moyer. Rich Hill is the ultimate dad, though. He should. He should mm. do all his pitching while wearing New Balances. He should have a sponsor deal. Like it shouldn't be Otani for New Balance. It should be Rich Hill for New Balance. I love New Balance shoes. They're so cozy. Like Rich Hill's demeanor on the mound is always the dad who just realized five minutes after leaving the house that he forgot to close the garage door. I I do that with the front door. I always second guess whether or not I lock my door behind you. Do you? I, how many times do you do, do you do it, or do you always just walk out and just think that you you lock the door behind you? I know because I the thing is the in my girlfriend's apartment the door if you don't lock the outside door it doesn't stay closed uh, so you have to lock it so I'm okay. I'm lucky in that regard but yeah no I was gonna say Rich Hill 
Ritual just has such a dad like he, he I'm assuming when he's in the dugout he's just talking to to the guys in there about Steely Dan mm-hmm. and like how underrated Gaucho is like he he's the ultra dad he is the dad of all dads and I love Ritual he the curses like a sailor dads. and he grunts like he's lifting heavy boxes all the time he just his wow. face is just this perpetually like droopy dog like you know like like he just heard one of his kids knock something over after he just told them for the fourth time Stop playing with that. That's not a toy. Mm-hmm. I love his vibes, man. I love Ritual's vibes. That's awesome. How do we go back to Blue Jays, by the way? They're going to be so mad when I tag this on YouTube. <laughs> they should Blue trade Jays. for Ritual. Why Blue not? Jays. Yeah. There we go. I fixed there. I did it. We did it. I, what made, is the... I made the leap forward. Well, what is the trade? We can do that. What is the, trade? the best oh, it's, it's the no... Blue Jays can do? What would you say I... is the most realistic best trade that they can do? I think they should target the best right-handed reliever they can get their hands on, mm. which is probably something along the lines of Jordan Hicks or David Robertson. Mm. Although I saw a report that the Cardinals are actually thinking about doing an extension with Jordan Hicks because the Cardinals have apparently inherited the same brain-eating disease <laughs> that the Rockies front office succumbed to 15 years ago. So who the knows? The Cardinals thing, too, is just like... You would think when you watch the games and you're like the talent and everything else and like the way they talk about like even the broadcast also just absolutely insane that Chip Carey is calling these games like it blows my brain. It it makes perfect sense for me because he is just the ultimate homer at heart and no broadcast is better designed for someone who will not talk critically for even one second about the team on the field than the Cardinals. I just have heard so many games of him calling the Braves that it just it's it's really discombobulating hearing him call Cardinals games. Like I could not even count how many games I've listened to Chip Carey just call Braves games. And I guess it's so weird. It just, it to me feels like a perfect spiritual fit. They're like 13 games under 500, John. Yeah, because they're, they have a real, again, I will, the way you talk about it, the Cardinals just going to run. They're 11 and a half back. The Cardinals are done. Why are we acting like the Cardinals should not sell? I think I'm taking crazy pills when it comes to the Cardinals. Well, that's, like, the Cardinals that's what I'm over. saying. Like, there, there's no reason the Cardinals should look at Jordan Hicks as anything other than yeah. the guy we're going to trade at the deadline so that we can possibly make this team better going forward because we suck right now. Yes. And yet you have the Cardinals leaking to reporters that, hey, we might actually sign Jordan Hicks to an extension, which in retrospect, maybe that's just a, a, a negotiating tactic to make other teams think, oh, we're not actually trying to get rid of him. We really like him. We want to keep him. So you're going to have to really make us a good offer to get him. At the same time, Tyler though, O'Neill and Ollie Marmel are actually best friends. You can't have a Tyler hey, O'Neill. Tyler O'Neill ran out of ground ball very hard today, and I hope he got up after that pointed at Ollie Marmel and was like, "You like that?" He just did the full. Uh, what's the with Carson? Is that Carson Wentz who said that? No, um, uh, that was Kirk Cousins. Kirk Cousins, thank you. The other mm-hmm. uh, meat-brained uh, God Squad warrior who I just have a visceral dislike of. Yeah, I hope Tyler O'Neill dropped the full you like that on Ollie mm. Marmel after uh, running out an infield single. But mm. I think, yeah, I think if you're the Blue Jays, you know, a guy like David Robertson, a guy like Jordan Hicks, somewhere, someone who is right-handed, who can pile up strikeouts, you can comfortably uh, feel good about pairing with Swanson and Romano toward the, you know, in the late innings would be good. Otherwise, maybe a, a top-tier left-handed reliever. I don't really have any guys off the top of my mind, I think, that makes sense for that. But, you know, that, the other thing is I just I hate trying to predict relievers stuff because I just who knows with relievers. They are just so fungible and none of them really make a difference long term and over the course of a post trade deadline. But either way, I think if you're the Blue Jays, you're looking for pitching help, probably bullpen help. And maybe if you can find it, some kind of left handed bat that you can put either 
you know, as a DH or maybe in the infield, ideally second base, but I'm not really sure where that's going to come from. And also some friends you meet along the way, John. Yes, of course. You always want to make some friends along the way. You should do. You should make friends. Blue Jays are going to be fascinating. I think they're good and they're just solid. Like they're just competent. I wonder, I guess fans are happy, right? If you're a Blue Jays fan, you're like, this is good. This is best case scenario for us. I think if you're a Blue Jays fan, your frustration is you've been told for years you have this super core of incredible young players coming. Your farm system's producing all this talent. You're going all out for guys like Gaussman. Um, you know, you're you're going to make plays for all the big free agents that are out there. And at the same time, as it's like, all right, we're ready to do this. Okay, here are the Rays. And also here's Baltimore, who's just got an even better core of young players that's, you know, just going to be an even better long-term contender than I think the Blue Jays are. So if you're the Blue Jays, I think... There has to be that worry. It's like we thought this window where we were going to be the, you know, the the kings of the AL East, you know, once the Red Sox and the Yankees fell off and because we didn't think the Rays were going to spend and because the Orioles were supposed to, you know, maybe take a little longer to get here. Now you're maybe sweating it a bit and going, "Okay, for starters, the Orioles are legitimately very good. The Rays just are going to do this forever." And for as much as the Blue the Red Sox and Yankees just don't look all that great right now, they are both still very high high payroll teams who have some very good players on them. And neither of those teams is out of the playoff race either. Boston's a game and a half back in the wild card race right now. The Yankees are about a half game behind them. You know, so if you're the Blue Jays, I think you're both feeling comfortable, but you're also a little scared that this is not as strong a position, not as solid a position as I think most fans would have hoped for when, you know, at least a few years ago when you were getting that sense of here comes Vlad, here comes Bo Bichette, here comes, you know, Romano, here come all these guys we're really excited about. Um, and they should be still excited about them, but, you know, there, I think there is that sense of, you know, it's not as secure here as we thought it was going to be. You know, we we are not alone in challenging for ALE supremacy. Well, there you go, John Taylor. Um, before my power goes out again, uh, we should probably wrap up here. Um, what can the good folks check out from you and the team over at Fangraphs.com this week? So our latest series we are running, Jay Jaffe's Replacement Level Killers, where he looks at contenders around the league to see what positions they're weakest at and where they could stand to do the most in terms of improving has been ongoing today we put out a shortstop and third base outfield is next then catcher and dh uh but the big one coming this week which is coming out on the 28th of july which is to say friday Mm -hmm. is a really fun piece in which all of our writers got together as the gms of different teams to put together their best shohei otani offer and our ben clemens is going to be evaluating them as the gm of the uh, fake angels so if you are at all interested in Otani stuff, which I would really hope you are, definitely check that out. The other thing that's coming out tomorrow, Thursday, which I just find really, really funny, Michael Bauman interviewed mm-hmm. Michael Bauman, the Orioles oh! pitcher. We finally had the Michael Bauman, Michael Bauman singularity. So if nothing else, I'm sure you'll get a laugh out of whatever headline is coming with that one. Uh, so yeah, check out Fangraphs. And as always, we've got all the trade deadline coverage you want. Plus, like I said earlier in the podcast, we have just updated our 2023 prospect rankings over on our board. We have added them, the 2023 draft class to those rankings. We have removed a bunch of guys who have graduated from prospect status. Uh, our new number one prospect is Jackson Holiday. There are three guys named Jackson in the top four, which a uh, real big moment for Jackson representation in this country. So go check that out. Go check all the fun fan graph stuff out. And while you're there, sign up for a membership. Uh, $10 a month, $60 a year for ad-free browsing, plus some other cool stuff. Fan graphs, it's good graphs with fans. John, as we go, this is going to be your reaction as we close out this podcast. Who okay. do, you, do you know who was in the Rosario trade going to Cleveland? 
I do not know yet. I have heard that it is actual big leaguers, not prospects, but I have not seen anything specific. Noah Syndergaard. Holy crap, that's incredibly funny. That is the funniest possible <laughs> outcome here. Look, man, I'm just going to say it. The, the Dodgers couldn't fix Syndergaard. If the Guardians can't do it... Guardians he sh- have, like, the... Uh, I think they have the uh, the lowest home run rate of any pitch, pitching staff. They don't give up any homers. The it, the Guardians are just... They, they know exactly who they are. If they can't, like you said, if the Guardians can't fix him, nobody can fix him. Yeah, that's the thing. Like, that's... This this is so this is going to be Noah Syndergaard's last chance to be an effective major leaguer because if if he can't if it can't happen with Cleveland it ain't happening nowhere. No. John Taylor, always a pleasure. Thank you as always. Go subscribe. Uh, wow, go support and subscribe. I just combined those two words. Uh, Fangraphs.com. Become a subscriber today. John Taylor, always a pleasure, and I will talk to you next week. Sounds good. Nicely done, nephew. Chase Thomas Podcast. Hell yeah.